Father, how can we just brush past that and move along to the next part of the service? Father, we take a moment right now to pause, to reflect on how awesome you are, that we will sing that truth for eternity for all those who have confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. That is a glimpse, but a glimpse of what awaits. Awesome. Help us, Lord, to believe what we just sang, that we will adore you. Every part of our lives brought under submission to you. Every part of our lives pointing to you for your glory. Every part of our lives with single directed focus pressing in to know the Lord. There is no greater pursuit. There is no greater satisfaction. There is no greater desire to have in this life. So Father, would you continue to come and meet with your people. I pray right now that as we open up the word of God, the authority of God, we would come under it, Lord, willingly, eagerly saying, Lord, speak to me today. I'm not just here to put in my time. Speak to me. You have a word for me today. Lord, I pray we'd humble ourselves under your teaching, that we would not be those who look in a mirror and walk away forgetting what they look like. But God, as you expose the heart, we would say, Lord, change me. Change me. Change me to be more like you, to love you more, to desire you more, to hunger for you more. May it be so today. We are your people. You are our God. You are our king. This is your church. You have your way and say what you want to say to us today for the glory of your awesome, holy, and majestic name. In the name of Jesus Christ, church, if you agree, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, praise the Lord, church. So thankful to be back here with you today. What a privilege that we get to spend another Sunday together. As we continue on in our series in Matthew chapter 5 on the Beatitudes. And if you do not have a Bible in front of you, I just I want you to grab a pen and I want you to grab a piece of paper because you're going to be taking a lot of notes today and we're going to need this. So if you do not have a Bible, the ushers are coming forward right now. They're going to hold them up. And then put your hand up and we're going to put one of those in your lap, okay? And so please make sure you have a copy of God's Word in front of you. And if you do not have a Bible at home, then take that one as a free gift from us so you can continue to study God's Word in your own time as well. So we're continuing on our series, Blessed, a journey through the Beatitudes on what is the character of true faith. What is the character of true faith? And today's focus is going to be verse 8, having a heart of purity. But before we get to that, let's do a little background. It's very important. We're clear on where we're coming from. What are these things called beatitudes? Well, beatitudes, the Latin term means to be blessed or to be happy. Attitudes that believers have that God approves of and promises his blessing towards. Is that good news today? You want the blessing, a promise of blessing from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords? That's good news today. Let's tune into this of what he promises to bless. These are the values of the kingdom of heaven that were embodied in the character of Christ himself and that we as Christians are called to be imitators of. Now notice, they're not these external actions of the hands. These are internal attitudes of the heart. 
internal attitudes of the heart. Now, we need to be very clear, and I will continue to recite this both this week and next week as we close out this series heading into Easter. We need to understand this. We don't live this way to be saved. Just try on your own for a little bit and see how it goes, walking in humility 24-7. Walking in repentance 24-7. Being satisfied in Jesus Christ alone 24-7. Just see how that goes on your own strength. We don't live this way to be saved simply because we can't live this way to be saved. But the, our character is reflected. Every single person who has confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, this is the character we are called to reflect. Because his power is in us. They are the character of the one who is saved in Jesus Christ increasingly because they're impossible to live out on our own. All right, and so far we've looked at the first five of eight. And don't forget, loved ones, each one of these beatitudes is building. The one that is mentioned builds on the one that is previous to it. All right, so you can't just pick and choose which ones you want to follow. Yeah, I'll take humility, but I won't take repentance. Well, that doesn't work like that. Every single beatitude builds on the one that is before it. And, and remember how Jesus divided this up. Greatest preacher of all time. Can we just agree with that, by the way? Amen? Yes. Greatest preacher preaching the greatest sermon of all time. The first four beatitudes that we looked at, they express our total dependence on God. Just look at the text here for a moment. Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's that quality? Humility. We are dependent on the Lord for humility. Next, building off that, look at verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What's that? Repentance. Repentance. And then look at verse 5. Blessed are the meek, the gentle, the power under control, for they shall inherit the earth. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. The satisfaction in Christ that comes around. So all those things are dependent on the Lord. And then Christ transitions to the next three are how that dependency works itself out in our lives practically. And after looking last week at the first practical outflow in verse 7 where it says they're blessed are the merciful towards others. Today, today, we are looking at living with a heart of purity, which is the overflow of that. Living with a heart of purity. So let's get on the same page here, church. Let's get on the same page. What does it mean to be pure in heart? Here's what it means. An active seeking, that is an active pursuit of God and longing to live the life that God requires. I love how commentator R.T. France put that. An active seeking. Notice the word active. When you write that down, circle that word. That is so key. That is so key. It's not passive. It's not when it's convenient, then I'll pursue the Lord. It's not when I get around to it, or it's definitely not when I feel like it. It's the singular focus of all our lives. It's an active seeking for God and longing to live the life that God requires. So let's be honest here. It begs the question as you see that definition on the screen. Let's ask ourselves. Just be honest. This is church. We're not lying, right? 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 All right? We don't act like we have it all together. Here's the reality. Ask the question. Does this describe your pursuit of the Lord right now? Look Look at the truth right there. And ask yourself the question. If that's what pure in heart means, does this describe your pursuit of the Lord right now? Be honest. There's no condom. Hey, loved ones, there's no condemnation here. But we have to ask ourselves these questions if the Lord is going to be able to change our heart and we're going to get real with him. Does this describe it? 
This intentional, active, singular longing to live the focused life that God requires. And you say, well, how do I know that? Well, here's a clear picture of where we can tell. Look at your agenda from this past week. Where'd your time go? And what'd you do in that time? Just, just look. Where's your focus? Where's your God time? Okay, so now you're reflecting. Let me ask a follow-up question. Who or what is your greatest pursuit right now? Who or what is your greatest pursuit right now, loved ones? I was so convicted with this question this week. Think about this. Here's some ideas to get us thinking. How about students? You got midterms right now. You got exams coming up. How about your grades? Is that your greatest pursuit right now? Well, when I, when I finish the exams, then I'll get to pressing into Jesus. Really? Maybe for some of us it's the pursuit of a spouse. If I just make that my focus, then we'll be able to serve it. Really? Just careful, careful, loved ones, watch the heart. How about this? If I just get healthy, if I just keep a certain body weight, a certain, you know, body, lean body mass percentage. Careful. What about possessions? Pursuing more stuff. More cars. If I just get the house, then I can open up for ministry and I can do all this. If I just get the job, then I'll start to, to pursue Christ. If I just get that status that I'm after, then I'll do that. If, if I just get comfortable, it's just, it's just not comfortable. I like to pursue comfort. I don't want to be stretched out of my comfort zone. Maybe for some of us, our greatest pursuit, look at your time, is entertainment, video games, movies, binge watching. Doesn't our culture just glorify that now? It just assumes we're binge-watching. Saw commercials all this past week like that. Just think about these, and you say, why is that important? Because here is the stunning truth we have to understand. You'll see it on the screen. It is this. What you prize is what you will pursue. What you and I prize is what we will pursue. If video game's the prize, if comfort's the prize, if a kid is the prize, if a spouse is the prize, that's what we will pursue. And the truth is this, loved ones, what you and I pursue is the clearest evidence of what has a hold on our heart. What you and I pursue is the clearest evidence of what has a hold of our heart. It is what you will seek. It is what you will savor. It is what you will give the most attention to. It is what you will sacrifice for. It is what you will work to protect. And it is ultimately what you will prize. And the problem is we live in a world that encourages the pursuit of anything and everything but God. The majority of people, Christians and non, myself included here, live as though they can somehow grow in a heart of purity and experience the presence of God while living with a divided heart between a love for God and a love for the world. And the result is this. Instead of growing in an intimacy and fellowship with God in his presence, more and more people, both Christians and non, are feeling isolated, alone, and separated from him and leaving them to ask the question, where is God in what I'm facing? Where is God right now? And others saying, how do I get to him? Have you ever asked the question, God, where are you this week? Where have you been? See, here in this text, Jesus gives two crucial truths we must embrace. 
if we are to live increasingly with hearts that are pure in pursuit of him and ultimately see the fulfillment of the greatest promise that we can have from him, his presence with us. Two crucial truths, loved ones, we must embrace. And to honor the authority of God's word, let's stand as we read the first eight verses of Matthew 5. Seeing the crowds... Verse 1, he went up, that is Jesus, on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. What a promise. Amen? And all God's people said, amen. Have a seat, please. Here we go. To experience the presence of Christ, increasing purity in my walk with Christ. To experience the presence of Christ, I must pursue increasing purity in my walk with Christ. This is not optional. Look what he says, Jesus says in the first half of verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart. Okay, recall this, loved ones. The Greek word for blessed there is makarios. You'll see it on the screen here. Makarios. There is not a word reminder, there is not a word in the English language that can describe the full meaning of this word. But it describes the one who is happy or spiritually prosperous or envied. Happy, spiritually prosperous, or envied. It describes the state of a believer who's in an enviable position from receiving God's provisions or favor in their relationship with him. It is a place that others should desire to be in. That's why they're envied. And this is not just describing here just a temporary feeling of happiness, but a continuous state of well-being from being in a right place in one's relationship with God. Not just a fleeting moment, but a continual day-by-day moment and right relationship. And Jesus says here that a person receives or experiences this ongoing blessing when they are pure in heart. A person who is striving in the power of the Spirit, to live increasingly with a pure heart, ask the question, where is my heart divided? Where is my heart divided? Why? Okay, here's why. The Greek word for pure there. You know what that means? It means this. Clean, unstained, or unmixed. I love how that, I just love how Jesus uses that. Clean, unstained or unmixed it not only describes one that is spiritually clean through salvation in Jesus Christ for one who has repented of their sin turned away from their sin turned towards Jesus Christ and confessed him as their Lord and Savior believing that he is the son of God who takes away the sin of the world who came as fully God and fully man and died on a cross to pay the penalty for our sin it doesn't just describe that cleansing as I thought it did initially but Jesus goes one step further from that Specifically in this context, that's why we got to read scripture in context, loved ones. you got to get the context of what's being said here. And we don't just, infu- it's a protection against infusing our own meanings into it. Okay, specifically in this context, it describes the person that is single-minded in their pursuit of purity and righteousness. Single-minded in their pursuit of purity and righteousness with an undivided heart that is set 
on the Lord and in pursuit of Christ alone. That is set on the Lord and in pursuit of Christ alone. It is a heart that is unmixed in its devotion and motivation to Christ. That does not waver depending on the times, depending on your circumstances, depending on what your desires are. It is a heart that is unmixed. Now I want to clarify something. Clarify something. You're saying, well, pastor, do you think it means we have to live under a rock? No, not saying that. It doesn't mean we don't have any other interests. Okay, okay? Doesn't mean we don't have any other interests. But that those interests are having their priorities and importance determined by our pursuit of Christ as our first love. I want you to think of the pursuit of the pure heart as the spinal cord and everything that comes off from our lives as the nerve endings that go to everywhere else that control our body. Okay, that's the picture Jesus is talking about here. First place. And notice this, loved ones. Out of all the things Jesus could have emphasized of where this pursuit is to come from or what it's to look like, he completely bypasses the external action, any external action of what it can look like. And where does he go? He goes directly back to the heart. He said, he's not saying, blessed are the pure in action. You notice that? Blessed are the pure in your good deeds if you do enough of them. Blessed are, blessed are those who earn their righteousness by what they do. Jesus Christ completely bypasses that and he goes directly for the heart because the heart is everything to him. Man looks at the outer appearance but God looks at the heart, loved ones. Don't we get so caught up in outer appearances? I want to be pure, so I'm going to have to fix this myself. I want to be pure, so I'm going to do, do this action, and maybe God will have blessing, and, and then I wonder why I feel distant from the Lord and why I don't see them. To be pure in heart, loved ones, is to be pure throughout. To be pure in heart is to be pure throughout. How do you know that? You know the Greek term for heart is? You see on the screen, cardia. That's where we get the word cardiac from. Okay? There you go. The Greek word for heart is cardia, and it means this. It's not some physical lump inside of us in the middle of our chest. Okay? The heart, when it's used in Scripture, is the effective, it's referring to the effective center of our being. It's our desire center that controls our thoughts, our wills, emotions, and actions. And so what Jesus is saying is... Blessed are the pure in heart. It's pursuing purity in the very center of our being because it's going to affect everything else. The heart isn't like divided into these different sections. Do you ever notice that? The heart is not divided into, okay, there's this section that's separate from this one. Any, piece, any single thing that has a piece of your heart is going to impact every single other thing that has a piece of your heart. You can't divide it up it will be impacting every single other piece and relationship and opportunity. I love how Warren Wearsby describes this. He says this, being pure in heart involves being unmixed as well as being clean, the cleanse of sin through Jesus Christ. Look at the illustration. Milk that is pure is not adulterated with water. Gold, with the dross, that is the impurities removed, is pure gold. 
Wheat with the chafe removed is pure wheat. The basic idea is that of integrity, singleness of heart, as opposed to duplicity, a double heart, a divided heart. When God cleanses sinners and makes them his children, that is through salvation, he does more than merely wash away sin, as if that's not amazing enough and a miracle in and of itself. But he goes one step further. He puts within them a new heart that wants to focus wholly on God. He puts in a new heart that is increasingly desiring to focus wholly on God. So let me ask you a question. Does this describe your pursuit of Christ? An undivided heart, single focus. Just ask the question. Again, no condemnation. Freedom in this place. But ask yourself the question. Ask yourself, where is my heart divided right now? Where's my heart divided? Where am I mixed in my pursuit? Where am I mixed? What is competing for my primary affection and pursuit? What's the competition? Here's some things to get us going. Maybe it's uh, my family's competing with it. Family's a great thing. It can become an idol pretty quickly. Maybe it's my marriage. Maybe it's my job. I just, well, I don't have time to get in the word because I'm just pursuing, pursuing, pursuing this job and working. So, hold on, loved ones, careful. Step back for a moment. Assess. Maybe it's money. I got to pursue, get the finances. It's, maybe it's school exams. Maybe it's getting a spouse, a girlfriend, or a boyfriend. Maybe it's the entertainment, possessions. Maybe here, let's go internal. Maybe it's my desire for control. I just want to have control over what I'm doing and it's mixing and it's dividing your heart from pursuing Christ and humbling yourself from under him. How about this? My pursuit is is anxiety. I'm mixed in my anxiety. I just can't get out of this. And I'm exhorted in the gospel and and I say I believe God's promises but I'm just choosing to sit here. Maybe it's this, other desires. And you don't know and you're here and you're like, none of those resonate? Here's a good tip to find out where that is for you. Ask them. You have to understand the Holy Spirit wants this for you. He's going to reveal it if you genuinely ask him from a heart desiring him. Now, clarification. Good thing, yeah? Clarification. Most of these things aren't bad things in and of themselves. Okay? But when we start to think we can pursue them as first place and pursue Christ as first place, it is destructive. It is destructive. Why? Because this is just not a harmless pursuit, loved ones. These things, if they become our first love, they become a first pursuit and start to divide our heart. They are literally robbing you of experiencing the life-giving and sustaining presence of God in your life. Your intimacy with him and ability to see him. Why is this? I love how Charles Price puts this in his commentary on Matthew 5. He says this, you may be sure, here's why it's destructive, you may be sure that the secular will always swallow the sacred in a divided heart. Boom. Bottom line, the secular will always swallow the sacred in a divided heart. And you say, why is that? Because that's our default. That's what our flesh does. That's what it moves towards. And so if we're living with a divided heart and we're just thinking we can dabble in this and love the world and love Christ as a first pursuit, 
the secular will swallow the sacred. It's not a matter of if, loved ones. It's only a matter of when. And God is gracious and he's patient. He says, loved ones, repent. Don't go there. Don't go there. Choose to sin. Choose to suffer. Don't go there. Come back. Come back. And we can stay there and we can stay there and say, no, God, I want to hang on to this. And we can stay there. It's just not going to end well. The sacred will be swallowed by the secular. That's why Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart with all vigilance. Guard it, keep watch over it, stand firm on it with all vigilance. Why? Because from it flow the wellsprings of life. Pure in heart, pure throughout. Contaminated in heart, contaminated throughout. This is what our flesh will default to. And this is why, loved ones, the heart is the greatest battleground on earth. Did you know that? The human heart is the greatest battleground on the face of the earth. Why? Because what controls the heart controls you. What controls the heart controls you. You might think you can tame it. You might think that you can somehow put up a good defense about it. But let me tell you this. What controls the heart will control you. Why? Because it's the wellspring of life. It will impact how you think. It will impact what you say. It will impact how you live. What controls a heart controls you. Pure in heart, pure throughout. The battle for the purity of our heart is the battle for experiencing God's presence in our lives. There is no greater battle than this. The battle for the purity of the heart is the battle for experiencing God's presence in our lives. And although we will not, hey, loved ones, hey, you say, I gotta be perfect to experience God? No. That's why we need anyone feeling like they need a savior right now? I am. I am. I'm just kind of standing here and being like, <laughs> right? Right? We will not be perfect on this side of eternity in the purity of heart in our pursuit of Christ. But as we increase in the pursuit of purity of our heart, we will increase habitually in experiencing God's presence in our lives. It's his power at work within us. You have to understand, loved ones, he's given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, the seal, the guarantee of our salvation, who is committed to our sanctification. Philippians 1.6, you can be sure of this, that he who began the good work in you will bring it to completion. And so you say, well, wait a sec, I... I want that, but how do I even grow in a pure heart? Like, what does that even look like? We're going to get real practical here. Get your pens ready or your phones ready because we're going to get real practical here and drill down. There are seven things that came to mind. And as I said, this is just a snapshot. I, again, ran out of room on my page in prep this week, but let's start. If, you, if we get these things right by the power of the Spirit, it's going to be hard to get a lot of other things wrong. Okay, so here's seven ways we grow in having a heart of purity. Number one, through the power of Christ. Through the power of Christ, Ezekiel 36, 26, you'll see it on the screen, it says this. And I will give you, this is God speaking, I will give you a new heart. See that promise? I'll give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove a heart of stone from your flesh, the one that is hardened to God, the one that is rejecting God, the one that wants the world more than God. He goes, I'm going to remove that heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh, the one that is tender, the one that is longing, devoted to God. 
And this is where everything starts. And if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal savior, you've come here and you've heard the gospel preach week after week, let me tell you two things. Number one, you're not here by accident. And number two, you need to understand that Jesus Christ came from heaven as fully God and fully man because he loves you. And he went and he paid the penalty on the cross to die for your sin so that you could be free from the bondage of slavery that this world promises to us. That's the best we can get. And he says, I loved you and the Father sent his son to be the savior of the world. And if we do not have a new heart, our desires will not be towards him. Bottom line, have you made that decision today? And if you have, here's a verse for you that thought this morning, and you won't see it on the screen, but John 15, 5. Through the power of Christ, Jesus says this, apart from me, you can do nothing. Abide in me and let me abide in you. So, loved ones, if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, whose strength are you walking in? You've got the new heart, but are you walking in the strength that he promises? And you say, well, how do I do that? Number two, first, seven ways you grow in a heart of purity through the power of Christ. Next is this through ongoing, notice the word ongoing. We don't do random here. There's a reason that's there. Ongoing humility before Christ. Ongoing humility before Christ. James 4, 6, stunning verse. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You know what the Greek word for oppose there means? It means to actively work against you. And you say, well, what a mean God, not letting me do what I want. Hey, loved ones, he's not working against you actively to condemn you. He's working against you to rescue you from going to a very bad and dark place. Ongoing humility to humble ourselves under him, lower ourselves before him and say, God, your time, your way, your priorities. Blessing is always on the other side of obedience, loved ones. Water will always go to the lowest place. The kingdom of heaven is, is absolutely a 180 from the kingdom of this world. In the kingdom of heaven, less is always more. In the kingdom of heaven, the way up is down. Always. The question is, here's my question, who's in control right now in your life? Those desires. Well, I'll give God control over this, but I'm I'm keeping this. I want to get married when I want to get married, so I'm keeping my time frame. Careful. Careful. How do we grow in a pure heart? Number one, through the power of Christ. Number two, through ongoing humility before Christ, his time, his way, his priorities. Number three, through ongoing repentance towards Christ. Repentance towards Christ. Look at Psalm 139, so beautiful. David says this, search me, O God, and know my heart. Here's a prayer of repentance right here. Try me and know my thoughts and see if there be any grievous way. What's that sinful way in me? And lead me in the way everlasting. What is that? The way of the pure heart. Lead me in the way. Repentance, turning away from our sin and turning towards the Lord. Mourning over sin that hardens our heart to God and experiencing his presence. 
Seven ways we grow in a pure heart through the power of Christ, through ongoing humility before Christ, through ongoing repentance towards Christ. Here it is, number four, through ongoing time in the word of Christ. Through ongoing time in the word of Christ. Look at Hebrews 4.12. Again, getting back to the heart. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing, I love that word, piercing the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. You want to know where your heart is truly at? You want to know what's controlling you? You want to know the areas of your life that you're not humbled under the Lord? Get into God's word. He'll show you really quickly. The question isn't, will he show you? The question is, what will you do with it? Revelation always means responsibility. When God reveals something from our hearts, we have the responsibility before him to get it right with him. And he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit to make sure that can happen. Because it can't happen on our own. Through ongoing time in the word. And I have to say, this is the number one reason, the single reason that if someone is a follower of Jesus Christ, they aren't growing in Christ. I ask the question, how's your time in the word? How's it going? Are you standing face to face with God every day and hanging on to his word and say, God, I'm not leaving until you have a hold of my heart today. And I'm not setting some time frame to say, well, you got to do an hour or that's not acceptable. Oh, whatever. That's called legalism. But are you making a consistent ongoing effort and not just getting in the word, are you saying, God, I'm ready to humble myself under your word? To be taught, to have the hardened parts of your heart broken, Is this our posture towards the word of the Lord? See, I love this description. What food is to the body, scripture is to the heart. What food is to the body, there's another expression that says, what you eat, you wear, right? What you eat, you wear. As I get older, I start to realize that more. But here's the reality. Same thing in scripture. You start to put on a garment of righteousness when it fills us and we humble ourselves under it. Yes, through ongoing time in the word of Christ. All right, so quick question, evaluation. How's your time in the word? How's your time in the word this week? Just look back last week. Does it reflect an undivided heart? People say, I don't see God. I don't feel close to God. Well, let's go back to what he promises to bless. How's your time in the word? Through the power of Christ, we grow in a pure heart. Through ongoing humility before Christ, through ongoing repentance towards Christ, through an ongoing time in the word of Christ. Here it is, number five. Through ongoing prayer with Christ. Prayer with Christ. Look at Psalm 86, 11. <laughs> Love it. Teach me your way. Look at this prayer. Oh Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Other translations will say, give me an undivided heart to fear your name. Yes. Is that your prayer? When you wake up in the morning, say, give me an undivided heart to fear you, to love you, to pursue you. When we say through ongoing prayer with Christ, here's the thing, ask him, ask him for it. Intentionally, with conviction, he will give it. He will give it. So let me ask you the question, what are your prayers mostly about? Just think back when you mostly pray. What are your prayers mostly about? Is it, Lord, give me an undivided heart to pursue you? Or is it, Lord, give me the blessing that I want? And then I'll think about it.
If we want to say, Lord, your kingdom come, remember, we have to start with the prayer before that, Lord, my kingdom go. It's a convicting word for me right now. Through ongoing prayer with Christ, I plug that prayer meeting on Wednesday, I will do it again right now. Come, call on the Lord. Let's get our eyes on him. Number six, how do we grow in a pure heart? Number six, through ongoing faith in Christ. Ongoing faith in Christ. Hebrews eleven six says this. And without faith, it is impossible. It's not like, oh, you'll have a hard time, but you can get there. No, it's impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnest, there it is, earnestly seek him. Conviction, devotion, pressing in. And you say, well, what is faith? I love how I heard a pastor say it this way this week. He says, faith is believing the word of God and acting on it no matter how you feel, knowing that God promises a good result. Believing, here's faith. Believing the word of God and acting upon it no matter how you feel, knowing that God promises a good result. It's saying, God, in this moment, I'm not feeling it, but I am going to choose to stand on your word. Psalm 1830, knowing that every word of the Lord will prove true. I'm going to choose on it, and I'm not feeling like I'm doing it, but in faith, I'm going to take this step and get in front of your word again today. Even with all the stuff I got going on here, in faith, you promise a good result for this. Amen. Amen. Feelings are great followers. Feelings are horrible leaders. Faith has to trump fear and feeling every time. And God promises a blessing for it. You want strength? Pick up the sword. You want to see strongholds demolished? You want to see the bondage that you're sitting under demolished? Pick up the word of God and humble yourself under it, loved one. It is living and active and there is hope in Jesus Christ. Amen? Satan can't touch that. Resist the devil, James 4, 7 says, and he will flee from you. Yes, this is the resistance. How do we grow in a pure heart seven ways? Through the power of Christ first. Can't do it on our own. Impossible. Through the ongoing humility before Christ. Through ongoing repentance towards Christ. Through ongoing time in the word of Christ. Through ongoing prayer with Christ. Through ongoing faith with Christ. See, it's all with Christ. With Christ. With Christ. We can't do it. And here's the last thing. Through all this should translate into this. Through ongoing obedience to Christ. Through ongoing obedience to Christ. Look at this gold nugget of a verse right here. 1 Peter 1, Having purified your souls. What's the word for souls there? Heart. Having purified your souls by your obedience. See that? Obedience. Faith into action. Obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love. Look at Love one another earnestly from, what's that? Say it all together. Oh, 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 oh. Here we go. Love one another from a? Amen. From a pure heart. God purifies our hearts through our obedience to him. Beautiful. That was a nugget that just jumped this week. I was so blessed by that. So let me ask you a question. Where is your obedience mixed? God is calling you to do this. You know that sin's going on in your life and you know you've, you've hardened your heart against it. When will enough be enough? And say, yes, Lord, I humble myself in obedience to your word. But I want this and our flesh will grab at it and it'll grab at it. But... God says, I will purify your heart through obedience in faith. Will you humble yourself? Hey, loved ones, making a plug right here. How about baptism? 
Those of you who haven't been baptized yet, that's the very first command God gives. And we say, Lord, I want, to draw near, I want you to draw near to me. He's like, I would love to. Will you obey? Will you just do what I've said? You can sign up today, loved ones. There is no question that this single focus of heart on the Lord is one of, if not the biggest challenges for Christians in the 21st century. We're so distracted, so focused on so many other things competing for our affection. Amen? Just all the time, Facebook steals our joy in the Lord. Did you know that? When it's out of place, did you know that? Yeah. No wonder we ask, where are you, God, in the trial? No wonder we ask. I don't feel him today. So just look at that list, loved ones, right there. Again, no condemnation. You're so loved. But where is your heart divided, and what's your next step? Right there. Or you're like, I got to get that right with the Lord. Where is that for you? To experience the presence of Christ, I must pursue increasing purity in my walk with Christ. And with that, last point today is this. Ready? We must have increasing faith in the promise of Christ. We must have increasing faith in the promise of Christ. Look at the promise. Back half of verse 8. Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart for, what's the promise? They shall see God. Jesus now gives the promise for the one whose heart is increasingly fixed on him. Nothing less than the presence of God with them. And we need to ask ourselves the question as we are asking God for greater faith. Is God's presence my greatest prize? Is God's presence right now my greatest prize? We must understand, loved ones, purity. Oh, hey, hey, hey. Purity of ones up here. Love the fact you're taking notes. Love it. I know there's a lot of notes. Praise the Lord. But here's the thing. Purity always positions us for presence. Purity positions us for presence. To experience the presence of God, you must pursue purity in your walk with God. You can't have one without the other. And you see the word there, see. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. It's not like, whoa, God's pretty cool. That's great. I'll just do what I want. <laughs> look what the word see there means in the Greek. To look upon or experience God. To look upon him in your sickness. To look upon him in the tense marriage. To look upon him when you're feeling broken and you've suffered that loss. To look upon him right there. To be admitted into intimate fellowship with him. Which we can now see in part increasingly by faith. But one day, one day, we will see in full as we're face to face with him. Yes. Yes. Now some of you may say this. Oh, I thought God was everywhere. How is this any different? I mean, presence of God. Isn't God all around us? Okay, let's get a little clarity here. A little theology of God's presence. There's two parts of God's presence. Number one is his omnipresence. His omnipresence. This is God is everywhere at all times. Watching over all things, good and evil. He's sustaining his creation. This is an unconditional presence of God. Omnipresence. Yes, God is in this room right now. God is over his creation right now. How do we know that? Jeremiah 23, 24 says this. I love how Jeremiah puts it. It says this. Is it on the screen? We got it? We got it? No? Okay, Jeremiah 23, 24. Here we go. I'm going to look it up right now because we need to hear this. Check it out. 23, 24 says this. Can a man hide himself in secret places so that I cannot see him, declares the Lord. Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord? Think you can run from God? Think we can hide from God? Think God's not seeing every single piece of what's happening? That's his omnipresence. 
Here it is. So that's the omnipresence of God. That is unconditional. Secondly is this. The second part of God's presence is his manifest presence. And this is what Jesus is talking about here. Manifest. Where God acts in a more intimate, intense, and transforming way in our lives. And this, loved ones, is a conditional. This isn't a given. How do we know that? Let's look at James 4.8. He says this. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Do you notice the order of that statement? Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and there it is, purify your hearts, you double-minded. Single focus, single mind, single pursuit. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. That is a promise, but it is conditional. And I love how John Piper describes God's manifest presence. He says this. I'm going to read this real slow so we can soak this in. Our experience of it means that we taste or feel or realize the reality of God more directly, more authentically, more intimately, more effectively. That is, producing more effects in our lives, more certainly, more satisfyingly, and so on. It means God is near in the sense that he exerts his influence for our good in special ways and causes us to experience the sweetness of his reality in special ways. There's the manifest presence of God for those who draw near to him with a desire for a pure heart. And the truth is this, loved ones, as you see that, this manifest presence, why Jesus points it out right here, is the greatest longing or desire of every human heart. Right there. The one to which every other longing we ever have and will ever have is pointing towards. The manifest, intimate presence of God in our lives. Oh, loved ones, how we settle for so little. Little of God and so much of this world. We settle for so little. I love how C.S. Lewis put this. You'll see it upstairs. It says... It would seem that our Lord finds our desires for him not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. And you say, well, wait a second, I get a lot of pleasure from those things. What does God's presence actually mean for us? Here it is. Ready? Get your phone. And then we'll land the plane. We must realize what God's presence means with us. Number one, it means this. Every tear of grief is comforted. Every tear of grief is comforted. How do we know that? 2 Corinthians 1, 3 to 4. I specifically put these references on here so we can armor up with these every single week because we're going to need them, loved ones. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies, and here it is, God of all comfort, who comforts us in our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Every tear is comforted right where you are. I don't know what happened in your life this week. I don't know what's happened, but I will tell you this. Every fear is comforted. Every tear is comforted by the presence of God. Number two, every thought of anxiety is ultimately defeated. 
Every thought of anxiety is ultimately defeated. Look at Philippians 4, 5b to 7. Now, now I realize something. You've got to include the back half of 5 to get the promise right from 6 and 7. Watch this. The Lord is at hand. You know what that means? He is present. He is manifested. He is intimate with you. Do not be anxious about anything. When God is there, there's no anxiety. But in prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And look at the, look at the promise. The peace of God. Anyone here need peace? Peace? The peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your heart and minds in Christ Jesus. Awesome. Every tear of grief is comforted. Every thought of anxiety is ultimately defeated. Number three, every part of the pain is ultimately healed. Every part of the pain you're feeling right now is ultimately healed in the manifest presence of God. You say, how do you know that? Psalm 147 verse three tells us, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. He heals the broken heart. Anyone here need healing today? Heart is broken. You've had things happen. You've had disappointments. He heals the broken heart. The question is, will you draw near with a desire for a pure heart? Number four, in God's presence, here it is. This is what every fear is ultimately conquered. By. Isaiah 41.10, look at this. I am with you. There's the presence of God. I am with you, loved ones. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Look what the, look what the presence of God does. Gives strength. He helps us. He upholds us with his righteous right hand. Awesome. Awesome. Anyone afraid? Fear of man today? Fear of circumstance? There's where that's defeated. There, you can bank on it. It hasn't failed in eternity, and it never will. Here it is, what every fear is ultimately conquered by, but here it is, what every hope is ultimately fulfilled by. Romans 15, 13 says this, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Right in the disappointment, loved ones, right in the sickness, loved ones, you may abound in hope. You say, how is that possible? Give it a shot. And watch what the Lord does as you draw near to him with a sincere heart. Here it is, number six. In God's presence is what every longing is where every longing is ultimately satisfied. Psalm 107 9. For he satisfies the longing soul. There's the longing, the pursuit, and the hungry soul he fills with good things. Those are all promises, loved ones. And that's just one of many. And just when you think he couldn't get any better, God goes one step further. He gives us the greatest benefit of his presence that is so much better than any of these other things. You know what he gives us? He says, what's better than peace? What's better than satisfaction? What's better than healing? What's better than faith? He gives us himself. That's what's better than all of that. He gives us himself. He is our greatest prize. Amen? He's our greatest prize. Ask yourself the question, is God my greatest prize? Is his presence my greatest prize right now in what I'm facing? Is his presence my greatest prize in the disappointment when I got the bad news from the doctor, when I don't think I, my timing's working out for when I want things? Is God's presence my greatest prize in this moment? And Christ promises that all true Christians will experience these things increasingly now as we draw near to the Lord in faith with an undivided heart in the promise that one day, one day, loved ones, we will have them in full completion when we see him face to face. You want to see what a glimpse of what that day is going to be like? Check out Revelation 22.4. Right here. They will see his face.
and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. Why do we settle for mud pies? Question. Final question. Do you believe this is true? Do you believe this is true? That God's presence is the greatest prize we could ever pursue? Because if so, your life will reflect it. Everything hinges on the answer to that question. If you're here and you've never confessed Christ as your Savior, this is what is waiting for you if you do. You can try to reject it and say, that guy's nuts and he needs to grow hair and all this stuff. But I will tell you this, I will tell you this, there is one day you and I are going to stand before the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and at that moment it's too late. It's too late. Believers, Let me ask you a question. Does your life show an undivided pursuit? Are you living increasingly with faith in light of this day? Not in perfection, loved ones, but in perseverance. In perseverance in the power of the Holy Spirit. Where are you settling for the mud pies of this world which are stealing your affection and desire for the presence of God with you? Here's a few things to finish us off. It's this, holding on to pain. What's the pain you need to let go of? And give it to the Lord holding on to unforgiveness, like drinking a bottle of poison and expecting the other person to die. Where do you need to forgive? How about this? The disappointment you need to cast on the Lord and stop wallowing in. Or this, the pursuing the things of this world with a greater love than your love for him. My health, my fitness, all of these. Where's that? Here's another one. Making excuses for sin. Sin of staying in your anxiety. Sin of of staying in your lust or lashing out in anger at your kids or your spouse. Just making excuses. Yeah, but if they did this. Yeah, but if they just did this, then we get along. Yeah, but if I just this, I'm going to stay. Yeah, I know that's anxiety, but I'm going to stay there. Yeah, I know this isn't, but. Listen, listen, loved ones. This is called the yeah, but syndrome. There's a sin. Yeah, but I have a right to stay here. Listen, listen, loved ones. When you and I stand in this moment before the King of kings and the Lord of lords, do you think that's going to hold sway? Yeah, I would have trusted you, Jesus, but... And he's like, why didn't you believe me? I love you. I gave my life for you. I gave you everything you would need to get out of that. Why don't you believe me? And we get burdened and we get bondage. And he's like, enough. Here I am, just draw near. Will you confess those things today, loved ones? Repent of them and set your heart on him. This isn't some feel-good fairy tale or crutch that people say Christianity can be. This is a heavenly reality to all that call on the name of Jesus Christ and experience his presence by pursuing him increasingly from a pure heart in their walk with him and have increasing faith in this promise from him. Loved ones, the pure in heart see God in a way the impure will never know here and now. Let your pursuit of the Lord in the present reflect the prize of his presence in the future. 
you will never look into the face of Jesus Christ and be disappointed. Ever. And I will guarantee you this, church, out of great love as your senior pastor, I will guarantee you this. On that day when you stand before Jesus Christ and look into his face, you will regret nothing that you have lost or sacrificed or humbled yourself under for his sake. And you will realize in full that he is worth it all. Amen? That day's coming. You will see God. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, this word, your word, so true, so convicting, but yet so filled with hope, so filled with grace, so filled with power, so filled with strength. God, I pray right now in this moment, those people that are hurting and struggling, can I trust you? Where are you, God? Asking the question, or asking the question, how do I get to you, God? It'd be so clear right now their next step. Holy Spirit, that right now in this church, in this gym, they would cast those things on you from an undivided heart and say, God, give me an undivided heart to fear your name. Humbling themselves under you, letting go of unforgiveness, letting go of bitterness, letting go of the, the, the addictions, Letting go of the control. Say, Lord, I don't want to be mixed. Give me an undivided heart. Oh, Lord, that we would be a church that sees God. Lord, a glimpse now and increasingly until the day we see you in full. What a day when we will declare you are worth it all. You are worth it all. There's nothing greater. We'd be men and women of faith to pursue you in this.